This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where me and my brother John, that's that other guy there, uh, we talk to each other, we give you dubious advice, we answer your questions, and we uh, bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. How you doing, John? I'm doing well. As you know, Hank, I'm in the midst of this uh, 100-day health and fitness challenge where over at youtube.com slash 100 days, my best friend Chris and I are trying to have a healthy midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little sore right now, to be perfectly honest. You know, John... My whole body hurts. So in addition to the soreness, uh, I have have in my life attempted to get in shape before. uh, And I'm not tremendously out of shape. I do like... Like, I do, like, two structured workouts a week. I've done that for years, and uh, and it's kept it's like been really good maintenance for me. But uh, in the times when I've tried to like like be much more active about it, you know what I notice mm. is that it takes a ton of time. It's not just like the physical effort. It's just like, oh, how does anybody have an extra hour a day? Well, uh, so I have an interesting answer for that question. Um, in general, I find that uh, when you make things pr- a priority, they happen, and that literally nothing should be a higher priority than uh, than your health, except maybe your family, and even that's arguable. Uh, so there's that. The second thing, though, is that uh, I have found the mental health benefits of exercise to be so dramatic in the last... Um, you know, couple months that I've been doing this, that I save time mm. because time that would otherwise go to my obsessive thinking patterns and the compulsions that I use to deal with them 
instead that time uh, goes to exercise. And then I find that I have like more time each day for actual like work and hanging out with my family and stuff. So I, for me, there's an upside to it, but it's like with anything, it's just what, it's what you make a priority and, and, and what you don't. And I think there's a good argument to be made that, you know, you don't need to make exercising to the point of exhaustion for an hour a day, a priority. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, and that is sort of what I realized. Like, I will never have that, uh, you know, that ideal body shape. I will have a less than ideal, but still healthy body shape, and that that is my. Yeah, priority. I mean, I'm not doing this for body yeah. shapes, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm past the point in my life where I'm obsessed with body well, shapes. You're thank also God. past the point in your life when you could have an ideal body shape. It's just not possible for a, for a man your age. That's a great point. <laughs> I'm never going to have a six-pack. Uh, my my, my six-pack ship has sailed. Hank, would you like a short poem for today? Yeah. Is it about, about six-pack ships? No, it's about, uh, it's about love and loss. Um, it's one of my very favorite short poems. I can't believe I've never read it. In fact, I might have. But if I have, then you're hearing it for a second time, and it's still great. It's by Tom Gunn. It's called Jamesian. It's, uh, it's just a tiny little couplet. Their relationship consisted in discussing... If it existed. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all know that feeling of having been in a relationship that consisted primarily of discussing whether it existed. Uh, I'm very grateful to be out of that game. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just got to accept that it exists. Well, I mean, that's the nice thing about marriage. (laughs) It's legally binding. Yeah. The, The state has agreed that it exists. Exactly. A government has acknowledged that your relationship is real. Hank, let's answer some questions from our listeners. Okay, sure. This one is from Maggie. Uh, I found this question very weird uh, and and surprisingly deep. Dear Hank and John, I made a fart joke and my mom said I can't do that. I then responded by saying that Hank Green makes fart jokes. She agreed with me that if I can get on the podcast, she will let me make fart jokes. Please help. Also, I was on a train derailment and almost died, and help is appreciated. You can ignore the train derailment part of the fart joke because the fart jokes are more important. I use humor as a defense mechanism. Maggie. Oh. Well, I'm sorry to hear uh, about... Uh, this is, I mean, I just love that question so much. Maggie, I really appreciate the way that you're handling uh, uh, what I imagine is a traumatic time in your life. I mean, that question had a plot twist that I have not seen the likes of since the usual suspects. I mean, I was going in one direction and now I'm going in a whole different direction because suddenly like Maggie's making a fart joke in the middle of this nearly fatal train derailment. First off, Maggie, I'm glad you're I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, I don't know that she was making the fart joke during the train derailment. Uh, But I do think that that Maggie's mom should understand. Well, first of all, we've already solved the problem. She can make fart jokes now. It's great. Uh, we've, you're on the pod. It happened. But I I'm think so that... T- Hank's made fart jokes since I was a little kid, and I've never thought that they were that funny. But well, it's always yeah. brought him gl- great pleasure. I think in general it's important if you're making a fart joke that it be funny. Uh, I, sometimes you, sometimes it's just like fart, and you're like, ah, that wasn't... You, you've heard my best fart joke ever story, John, right? Oh, no, but I'm sure you're going to tell it. All right. So I was in this very long, long and boring business meeting. Uh, it was like the, the sort of like... Uh, for VidCon, I think it was VidCon 2013 or 14, All, everybody was together in this room and we had this day-long meeting because the team was pretty remote. So we brought everybody together and it's just, it, 
there's just a lot of details that needed to get ironed out. We were in like hour seven of this meeting, and uh, Carver, who you remember, yeah, uh, was going through some something, um, and I noticed that every time Carver gets an email, uh, a, a thing pops up and it says who the email's from, and it says the subject of the email, and his his uh, his email his computer is being broadcasted to the entire room of people. Uh, and so we all see like the emails Carver's getting and, and the subject of each email. So I uh, sit back in my chair and I send Carver an email uh, and wait. And I just and I'm so happy. I'm just like <laughs> suddenly I've I've reached this moment of perfect bliss. And uh, and then uh, up, upon the screen arrives the email to Carver from Hank Green. Subject line: Fart, fart, fart. And like and there's like a giggle. And then there's like another, and Carver's just talking about like signage or whatever. And then there's another, and then there's like laughter. And then everybody's like, the tension is broken and finally we're all okay. And I was just like, I am a magic man. Fart, fart, fart. I mean, I would say that that's the kind of story where you had to be there for it to be funny, except that I strongly suspect if I had been there, I also would not have found that particularly (laughs) funny. Uh, but anyway, I think Maggie's mom should understand that uh, Maggie has to deal with some stuff, and, uh, and and jokes, even if they are slightly inappropriate, are a great way to do that. I have to say I'm a little bit on Maggie's mom's uh, side on this one, just because I have my own children who are constantly making fart jokes. Hank, your child is not big enough yet, but the, the it's the relentlessness of them. It, 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 it's the refusal... <laughs> to reach for higher subject matter that I find so exhausting. Mm. Like, my kids genuinely think the following is not just a joke, but, like, a joke on par with any joke that's ever been told in the history of the world. Doo-doo head. (laughs) And I'll be like, what? And Alice will say, Henry said doo-doo head, and that's why we've been laughing for seven minutes. Yeah. Well, you know, I got it to each their own. You gotta gotta give... Let people love the things they love, John. Do you want to ask another question for us? Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm I, trying to get my children to get into some sophisticated humor, you know, like Ogden Nash poetry, but it's, it just hasn't happened yet. Um, just kidding. Ogden Nash made a ton of fart jokes. The fart jokes are <laughs> as old as literature, really. Uh, ah, this question sure. comes from Grace, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I recently gave my boyfriend poetry I had written about him as part of his Christmas present. He received this really well, and it actually seems to have brought us closer. However, watching him read it and thinking about someone I know reading my work is mortifying. Like, as I sit here thinking about him reading my work, I want to shove my face in a pillow. I like writing, and part of me wants to share it more, but I also feel so vulnerable sharing it. How do I get past this? Suffocating and embarrassment. Grace. Hank, I wanted to uh, ask you this question because I do not know the answer, and I'm hoping that you can help me not feel embarrassed and mortified by the prospect of sharing work that I have made with strangers or with, indeed, with, with, with boyfriends, etc. I thought that it, th- this, was, uh, this was purely practice. Like, the more you did it, the better it got. Uh, is that is that not the case? No, not in my experience. Like, um, I've had Sarah read uh, something relatively recently, and it's just awful. Like, it's so mm. nerve-wracking and weird and uncomfortable, and you feel so exposed. And um, I think part of it... Well, I, yeah... I have I have a thing that I have just sent to to 
Catherine and to uh, and to a friend who is a professional writer, but not me. And but not no no. That's an interesting thing. Like I do not want you to read a thing that I've written until it is published. Right. I like that yeah. makes me very nervous. I don't know why you make me more nervous than uh, than Catherine or this friend of mine who I'm not mentioning intentionally. Um, and, and, and I'm I'm nervous. Uh, to hear what they have to say. Uh, I, I mostly just want it to be over with. Mm-hmm. Like, I want them to finish yeah. and tell me. Uh, but, but, but when I read the things that I write, like, I know when they are terrible. I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm at the point now where I, I'm conscious of, like, what the problems are. Mm. And I think that's a, that's a big important part of, of not being nervous about anything. Um, like, of course, I still get nervous like when there's when there is an element of the of the like uncontrollable uh, like going up on stage you never know what's going to happen you never know what you're going to mess up you never know what the audience is going to do but um but but in times when when there are a lot of variables that i can control for i find myself like i seek out those variables i control for them and then i move forward the, but there is a lot of there is a lot of subjectivity in interpretation of any of any art form and so you like people are some people are going to receive it well and some people are going to receive it negatively and that's just going to happen. Um, but but I find like if I I can read something that I wrote and say that's good, and I and like it, somebody who thinks that that's not good is wrong. C- can you do that? I do not have that ability. No, 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 no. And I also don't think I'm a particularly good judge of what is working. Like a lot of times, I think. Um, you know, something and something that I'm writing, I well, maybe I recognize that it doesn't work, but I still think it's really good. And it's only when I zoom out or take some time or listen to people I trust that I realize like, oh, like the fault in our stars should not end with Hazel literally tied to railroad tracks. <laughs> um, because that that's like, that's, you know, that's just bananas. Like it makes no sense. But uh, I, I, I don't a lot of times recognize that in the moment. And so I think that's part of what I find stressful about sharing my work with people. But I also think the the one thing I guess I'd say to Grace is that you've got to remember that, you know, your boyfriend cares about you and he's going to read your work generously. And there's an element of that uh, that I think it, it just makes a huge difference, you know, like when you feel like you're going to be read generously, it's a lot less scary mm-hmm. than when you feel like you're going to be read from a place of judgment. Now, like it's important to, to read stuff critically and to read from a place of judgment, I think. So I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, I, I, I don't welcome those readings. Um, but I, I, I do think in general, like the most fulfilling reading experiences I have start with me saying, I am excited to read this book and find, find what I like in it. Or I am excited to hear this poem from Grace and find what I like in it rather than like I am reading this to confirm what I already suspect which is that there is something about it that I hate there's also there's also an element of like uh like I I have a much less hard time watching somebody watch one of my videos if it's pure comedy Mm. uh than if it's like me being open about myself and about the world and like bearing my soul a little bit like I don't want to be in the room when people are watching that video mm-hmm. especially if it's about the person that I made it for like right. 
it, like it, like in that in that particular circumstance where it's like I made this for you and it is an opening of my soul and like and and like an attempt of like to to say things that I don't know how to say then he's like yes you want to run away and not be in the room and be like here I'm going to go let me know what you think I'll be in the cafeteria I don't know why I was going to be in the cafeteria yeah maybe that's the best way to way to do it grace is just to disappear for a while and then let your boyfriend on his own time respond to your poetry. But I don't know. We're a couple of middle-aged people who haven't found our way through this, obviously, Hank. Like, uh, we're not really giving Grace advice right now. We're giving each other advice. <laughs> That's definitely the case. And uh, and I think often the case. But not not in the case of this question, John. Which is a harder one. And uh, and and a real, uh, real interesting one to me. Dear Hank and John. I have been online catfishing a girl for about four years now, as oh in God. pretending to be someone else oh God. with a picture that is not me. Oh God! I know that that makes me sound like an absolute psychopath. However, it's 100% platonic, and I feel so, so bad about it. I had a fake account when I was younger just to mess with people in my hometown, and I found this awesome girl. She's bold and strange, and she understands me on a level that no one else does. I can't keep living a lie but i also can't tell the truth it would hurt her even more than me what should i do just ignore her forever maybe i'm in way way too deep any dubious advice would be helpful uh you are the only people i've ever talked to about this catfish and penguins anonymous oh god oh god i mean if i I couldn't find my way through the last question hank i certainly can't find my way through this question uh i mean i uh, ha ha I mean, that sounds like a very intense and unpleasant experience, but also kind of one yeah. that you have you've put on yourself. Uh, I understand like it's it's like the lobster uh, that that does not notice that the water is getting warm until suddenly it is boiling, yeah. uh, I guess. But uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Hank, uh, just a quick side story that I've told before when I um met my first real girlfriend who I met on the internet in the in the old old days of the internet uh I drove all the way across the country to meet her after you know like talking back and forth to each other for two years and I'd never seen a picture of her because back then like it was uncommon to send pictures over the internet because it would like cost a ton of money and uh and like whenever I talk about the relationship that we had which ended up being like a great relationship that lasted for several years uh she People always say like, oh, and she was nothing like how she described herself. And I always say like, no, like we didn't really describe ourselves. Like we never really talked about each other physically. Like that just wasn't like the Internet was so different then. Uh, All of which is to say that I feel even less qualified to answer this question, having been in a situation where catfishing could have easily occurred but didn't. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm going to call you Igor. Uh because because uh we need a name igor you've all you've already uh you know what would be better though what ryan oh right 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 of course ryan um you you've you've already in effect done the hurting uh it's just that it's just that the nervous system hasn't picked up the pain yet it already happened you have hurt this person and and uh and and maybe there are ways to hurt to to make the hurt hurt less, but the uh, the offense has already occurred, and I know that it wasn't necessarily something that you meant to be uh, meant to do from the beginning, 
and and you got yourself way in over your head uh, one one little step at a time, bef- and and you didn't know that you were bo- boiling your lobster in that pot. But Ryan, uh, you you gotta you gotta end this, and you gotta and and it may be just going at cold turkey, or it may be uh, telling the person the truth and uh, and moving on. But like you, you are every every time you continue the relationship, you are making the hurt worse in the eventual moment when the hurt happens. Right. The other thing I would say from Ryan is I get a vibe from the email that maybe Ryan thinks that like maybe there's a world in which this friendship can continue after this is revealed and. I'm not here to say that's not possible, but I, I I do strongly think that in the likelihood that this person does not want to continue a relationship, you need to honor that 100 uh, percent. You need to just you need to honor that because you have to understand that they will likely be hurt in a way that they can't. You know, there's no real coming back from. Maybe not, but I think you have to honor that if that's what they want. Mm-hmm. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one comes from Ian, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was drinking a lovely dark red wine blend with my sister last night, and I didn't rinse the glass until after the tiny wine puddle at the bottom of the glass had dried completely. Side note, Ian, I do not believe in leaving that tiny wine puddle. I will stick my finger into the bottom of the glass just to get that get all the wine out of there and I will lick my finger to make sure that I get all of the wine. Anyway, uh, (laughs) I just, I love wine, Hank. Also, I'm, I have a very restricted amount of wine that I'm allowed to drink during this 100 days. So that might be somewhat related. Anyway, um, when I ran water into the glass, it turned not as I expected a diluted red, but instead a muted, but very distinct blue. When I rinsed a glass with a still wet puddle of wine, the water turned the normal red color. I assume there's some chemical explanation for this, but I'm no expert. John likes wine and Hank likes chemistry. So clearly you are experts. Enlighten the world, shellfish and eyesores, Ian. Uh, oh, Hank. I don't like shellfish and eyesores. No, those are like two of my least nice. favorite things, actually. Uh, <laughs> Hank, I do not know why this happens. Yeah. Also, it has never happened to me, and I have dr- drunk a fair few glasses of wine in my day. Well, you're never leaving the crust at the bottom. Um, so- I don't, I, not, <laughs> certainly not lately. Good Lord. I mean, it's a very strict eight ounces uh, at most per day. Um, so, uh, so Ian, I am, I am like 90% of the way to, to being sure I know why this happens. So, so the stuff that makes red wine red uh, is a chemical. Uh, there are a bunch of different chemical, chemicals called anthocyanins. And anthocyanins uh, change color depending on the pH of the uh, of the solution that they are in. So when you took uh, when you took the anthocyanins out of solution completely, my guess is that the acids, whatever they are, which I don't know, were also able to escape somehow. And then you diluted uh, you diluted that with uh, probably what is slightly basic tap water. In some places, tap water is slightly basic because of the chemicals in the ground. Uh, so probably you have what's called hard water, 
uh, and uh, and your your the water in your house is slightly basic. Now I actually this morning because I wanted to be sure of this, I took some red wine, which I had a little bit of left from when my friend was visiting, and I put it into a glass, and uh, and then I put some dish uh, some like laundry detergent, which is super basic, into the glass, and then diluted that. The color I got was not blue, but it like it was a very distinct color change from from bright red to a gray, like a sort of a blackish gray. Uh, I have to stop you right there, Hank. Yeah. Are you telling me that you took drinkable, usable red wine, you poured it into a glass, and you then put laundry detergent in the glass with the drinkable red wine rather than drinking the red wine? I, I mean, I got to tell you, John, not only did I do that, I, I used several other chemicals to see what the best one was. Uh, and laundry detergent was, was the best one. I, I used bleach, which is not uh, not oh, basic in the that's same very, way. That's very that's that's a very negative effect that, on the taste that of turned wine. It, that turned it a very bright yellow, which was interesting. And I also used uh, some calcium carbonate, which made like sort of a murky, chalky uh, gray or white, which was also really interesting. I think that probably some of the calcium carbonate came out of solution uh, and precipitated and it made it made it murky and and cloudy um but uh but i i don't know super a ton about what chemistry is happening here but i do know that uh there are lots of uh pigments that change colors based on the ph uh anthocyanins and wine are one of them and uh yeah so you you are seeing uh the the uh the change in the uh in the pigment that actually makes red wine red um i'm interested in why yours turned out blue while mine turned out black and i don't know if that's different anthocyanins and different brands of of wine but i would be interested in that um i think like i could kind of in my mind's eye be like i can see a little blue in that black but um but i i i, w- I wouldn't say that i feel like probably i was just being biased by the question but yeah wine uh the 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 pigmented wine is a ph indicator and wine is acidic and it is uh so Red wine will be red for as long as it is, is it acidic, and then when it is basic, it will be a different color, and it will taste absolutely horrible, possibly deadly. Don't do that. Don't drink wine that has bleach in it. I don't know that I need to say that. Just drink the wine and yep. don't ask questions. That's you know, my strategy. I also ground up some antacids and put it in the wine to see if that, w- that would get a more distinct color change, but I was, it was not able to make that work. I mean, this this is deeply offensive to me. We need to move on. This question comes from Tossit, who writes, Dear Green Brothers, well, that's a strategy for getting around the Dear John and Hank thing. <laughs> I would love a Nerdfighter shirt, but I don't really have money to spend on things like that. Is it okay if I make my own, like with fabric paint on a blank shirt? I don't want to slate your company or commit some kind of copyright infringement. I wouldn't be selling them or anything. I just want to make one or two shirts for myself. Thanks. Do it! Also, I, I wish we could, yeah, please I do wish it. We could provide a shirt that would be inexpensive enough for you to buy, but do it! That's even better. No, Hank and I, I remember in the in the early, early days of Brotherhood 2.0, Hank and I used to say that we didn't want to make shirts because we wanted all Nerdfighter shirts to be homemade because they were always so much better than whatever shirts you could buy on the internet. Um, but then eventually, we you know, we started DFTBA.com, and, and aside from selling music, it started selling shirts. But we still think, like, the best Nerdfighter shirts are homemade and a lot of times like our favorite 
uh, our favorite shirts that are for sale at DFTBA.com are shirts that we discovered online somewhere or that somebody was wearing in line uh, that they'd made themselves and the shirt was just so great. We were like, where did you get that? And they're like, we made it and then we'll be like, great, can we sell it at DFTBA? So yeah, keep making shirts. Don't worry about it. There's a reason we haven't copyrighted or or trademarked the word nerdfighter or Mm -hmm. the phrase DFTBA. And it's so that you can feel free to make that stuff without worrying or even thinking about it like we we are grateful to you for caring enough about this community to want to brag about it on a t-shirt uh so thank you and um don't worry about it at all don't worry about it at all i uh i i remember one time i i did a uh i did like a, a live tv like a vlog tv live show yeah and then the next day i did a like an actual in-person live show and there were people with shirts like referencing a joke that Refer- referencing a joke that was made in that blog TV live show. Yeah, that's like, just okay, the best. Well, there's, there's no way to do that faster. That is the only way you can do that. I remember in Paper Towns, there at one point, Margo wears a T-shirt that's like a pink T-shirt featuring an orange dragon breathing green fire or something. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. I went on tour for Paper Towns, like I'd been on book tour a lot of times before and it's pretty soul crushing uh, to go <laughs> from like city to city and talk to like six people or 12 people or a large group of high school students who don't know who you are and don't want to be there. But this is their way to get out of English class or whatever. Like it, 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 I always found touring really difficult and and like you know, obviously it's a great opportunity to, to talk about your book and everything, but at the same time, it's it's just kind of emotionally exhausting. And I remember the first tour stop for uh, Paper Towns, there were people wearing like homemade pink t-shirts with the green dragon breathing orange fire or whatever. And I was just like, oh, oh, oh my God. Oh my God, this is going to be so fun. This is going to be the exact opposite of all my previous tours. Mm-hmm. And it really was like, that was the first time when I thought like, oh God, this is, I mean, yeah, it just, that was, that was the moment when I realized that Nerdfighteria had changed my creative life mm-hmm. um, in this like deep and lasting way. So yeah, please. We're all for homemade t-shirts. They're the best. All right. Since we're on the topic of Nerdfighteria, we got a question from Georgia who asks, Dear Hank and John, for Christmas, I found out that my dad and my sister and I will be flying from Canada to Boston for NerdCon Nerdfighteria, which is February 24th to 25th. I'm pretty sure. Is that right, John? I don't know, but you can find out more and get tickets at NerdConNerdfighteria.com or just go to NerdCon.com and uh, it, it, you can get you can find a link there as well. And uh, it's, it's February 25th and 26th, but I got real close. It's February 25th and 26th and it and it's it's sixty bucks uh, for for two days of high quality enjoyment. I'm extraordinarily excited and can't wait," says Georgia. And also Hank, this will be my first con of any variety and my first time meeting any nerd fighters outside of my family, uh, and those I've brought into this myself. I've been watching your videos for a couple of years, but I'm worried that I'm not enough of a nerd fighter. I'm not sure why. Maybe because I'm still relatively new to the community, or because uh, the first project I actively participated was uh, P4A 2016. Maybe I just don't feel like enough of a nerd, or that I'm not an un- that I'm not unabashed enough about my interests. I don't want to arrive at NerdCon. I don't want to arrive at NerdCon and suddenly feel shy or feel like I don't fit in because Nerdfighteria aligns with my morals and opinions on the world. But I also don't want to embarrass myself. Uh, by being not nerdfightery enough. Am I overthinking this? Yes. Yes. Any dubious advice would be appreciated as you are close to ex- as you are as close to experts on nerdfighteria as they come. Also, if you have any con-related tips that uh, 
uh, I can guarantee that they will be put to good use. Wear comfortable shoes, Georgia. That's my con-related tip. And, and bring a balance bar, too. Yeah, bring some snacks. Uh, that's the other thing that I would say. I, I think you are overthinking this, and I think the reason you're overthinking it is because you're excited but also nervous because it is a new thing and it is not something that you have done before and it is good and exciting and fun to do new things, but it is also somewhat scary. Uh, but uh, you, when you are there... Uh, it will flow naturally and it will feel like a natural fun thing to be doing and you'll go from panel to panel or event to event and you'll have a good time and you'll talk to people about their t-shirts uh hopefully homemade t-shirts but also t-shirts available now at dftba.com uh and it will be fun but i i I always feel this way before i go to a conference and then the vast majority of the time i'm able to have a great time there have been a couple of exceptions in my life uh but almost all the time it's really really great yeah it's like it's interesting that feeling that you are feeling right now is such a familiar feeling to me uh one that i've had many times pretty much every time i even go to a concert i have that where i'm like i need i am i am i enough of a fan to even go to a concert should I wear the shirt of the band or should I wear a shirt of like a peripheral band that's like over to the side? How do I look cool enough for this? Should I sing along with the songs? What about if I don't know, if I, if I only know the chorus, should I sing along then? Like way over analyzing it. And it, it, it's really like, and that can, that can kind of be a detriment because it can make you feel like I don't want to take any risks. But I really like, I, I think that, that these experiences can be more rewarding if you do take a couple of risks here and there and try things that you wouldn't normally do. And uh, and I think that's one of the great things about being able to get out into the real world at a place where there are people who have similar values to you um, and get a chance to engage and connect with those people, which I hope happens a lot yeah, at I, the event. I totally agree. Um, and I think, you know, getting over the... In in a way, just getting over the hump of like buying the tickets and making the plans is the hardest part. Uh, and then you're on the other side of it. And once you're there, it, you know, if the conference people have done their job, it should flow pretty naturally and, and be pretty straightforward and easy for you. And um, since I am not directly involved in NerdCon or VidCon these days, I can tell you that uh, Hank and his team do an amazing job of that, I think. I think uh, they put together really, really wonderful experiences for people and give lots of opportunities for you to have a good experience. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that everyone will, but um, I, I, it, it, it's really great what they do. They're, they're a wonderful group of people, and they have wonderful values, and they do a great job. And we should also mention, while I'm talking about that, that uh, in addition to uh, tickets to NerdCon Nerdfighteria, Hank and I will also both be at VidCon Europe in Amsterdam in April. Uh, which I am very excited about. I wasn't going to go, and I wasn't going to go, and I wasn't going to go, but then the lure of Amsterdam proved too much to me. That is April 7th to 9th, if you want to hang out in Amsterdam. I know it's going to be tons of fun. And uh, tickets to VidCon in Anaheim are also for sale, as are tickets to VidCon Australia, which is this fall. Woo! Woo, 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 woo! And you won't be coming to Australia, right, John? No, I mean, unless I get the bug at the last second, but I really like this thing where I don't don't (laughs) promise to do stuff, and then I can do it if I want to, rather than feeling obligated. This is from Harim, who asks, Dear Hank and John, the first Vlogbrothers video I saw was the slobber carrots punishment, and I thought it was really stupid. 
However, less than a month after that, I started to watch Vlogbrothers again, and I liked it. It took me another few weeks to realize that the two videos were from the same channel. Now, I love the Slobber Carrots video. What happened? Why did I suddenly love a video that I hated just a couple of months before? That's a great question. Oh, what happened, John? What happened to Harim? I mean, I think what probably happened is my guess is that uh, the Slobber Carrots video is only a good video if you care about the people uh, who made it, specifically uh, me and my kid. And I think after watching a bunch of our other videos that hopefully are good, even if you don't care about us, uh, <laughs> the Slobber Carrots video became kind of magically better. And that's, mm -hmm. I mean, one of the weird things about Vlogbrothers over the years is that it's always been this mix of content that really only makes sense to slash can be enjoyed by Nerdfighteria and then videos that are made for a sort of like broader world outside of Nerdfighteria. And um, so maybe that's what happened. That's what, I, that's what I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point. Uh, Harim actually goes on in this question to, to basically say, how do I, like, it seems wrong for me to feel that way. Shouldn't I dislike, shouldn't I keep disliking something if I disliked it once? Uh, and, and do I have this weird bias now? And how do I identify that bias to make sure that I only like stuff if I actually like it? But that's the thing. Like, the more you know about something, you're going to like different things. Like, as, like, now I like books that I never would have liked before because I've read more books. And so, like, like, certain books don't satisfy me the way that they used to because maybe they were simpler and had more, like, more conventional expectations. But I didn't know that because I hadn't read a lot. And now that I've read more, I'm like, yeah, I'm not so interested in that. And I, I want something that will define my expectations a little more. And that happens not just in media, but in all things in life. As things get more complicated, you realize uh, maybe you appreciate something in a way that you didn't before. And that's, that's part of growing and being a different person. Because you're never, yeah, you're never the same person from one day to the next. Doesn't seem like it, but that's the way it is. Hank, we've got a question from Linnea, uh, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've recently purchased a pretty cool Steven Universe t-shirt, which is red with a large yellow star in the middle. I love this shirt. However, I have a dilemma. Every time I wear this shirt to a public place, someone makes a comment about how much I must love Carl's Jr. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Carl's Jr. is a restaurant chain here in the United States uh, run by, apparently, our next Secretary of Labor. Uh, so that's a thing. It's a hamburger restaurant. It's sort of a, a, a not great Wendy's is how I would describe it. A, a lesser Wendy's. Uh, anyway, Linnea writes, I do not enjoy Carl's Jr. My question is this. How do I go about wearing this piece of pop culture merch without accidentally endorsing a restaurant chain that I strongly dislike? Hot dogs and pork chops, Linnea. <laughs> Uh, Ledea, first of all, that logo is not the Carl's Jr. logo. The, so, so Steven Universe, you got the you got the yellow star on a red shirt on a red shirt. Uh, Carl's Jr. yellow star with a smiley face in it on a, a red background, and then you have Home Star Runner, which is a white star on a red shirt. It's very confusing. There's too much going on here. And weirdly enough, I googled this, and there is a there is a Reddit thread from 2014. Uh, from, on the Steven Universe subreddit, it says everyone thought I was promoting Carl's Jr. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking so at this T-shirt right now, Hank, because Linnea was kind enough to send a picture. We'll send, uh, we'll post it on the Patreon at uh, Patreon.com/slash/DearHankandJohn. And, John. and uh -huh. uh, looking at this particular T-shirt, my number one conclusion from it, having never seen the TV program uh, 
Steven Universe is that that is a Hardy's and or Carl's Jr. Uh, t-shirt, 100%, no question. Well, in that case, Steven Universe is a big fan of Hardy's because that is the shirt that Steven Universe wears. Well, I'm just telling you, if I saw someone wearing that t-shirt in a public place, I would think to myself, wow. I mean, that is weird that someone would be that into Hardee's and or Carl's Jr. Because they are weirdly, <laughs> there are two companies, Hardee's and Carl's Jr., that have the same, uh, basically the exact same menu and are owned by the same people and have very similar logos, but are different restaurant chains. And so if I saw it, because I, I am in a Hardee's part of America, I would almost definitely think, well, I guess Linnea, I mean, I guess I wouldn't know her name. Uh, I'd probably guess it from the T-shirt, though. I guess Linnea is a huge Hardee's fan, which is uh, which is probably like not your fault. It is uh, it is the creator of Steven Universe's fault, probably uh, for not a- accurately. Uh, yeah, what I would say to Linnea is, you just need to add something in puff paint uh, to the bottom of the shirt that makes it absolutely clear that you don't love Hardee's. Like I am opposed to Hardee's would be one thing that you could add. You know, you might be able to get that puff paint, by the way, from Tossit, who's going to be designing uh, his I'm own Nerdfighter shirt. I'm a little worried shirt. that that's going to that's be a little confusing to the average person. Like, now it's just an anti-Hardy's shirt, not a pro <laughs> Steven Universe shirt. Well, maybe, like, above the star, you can have, uh, I am strongly in favor of the television program Steven Universe. I mean, l- listen, Hank, I... This is off the cuff here, so like you might you might find ways to shorten this or whatever. But that's what I would write in puff paint above the above the star, and then below the star, I would be like, also for the record, I do not like Hardy's or Carl's Jr. Because I think if you just say I do not like Carl's Jr., people are going to think that you're a Hardy's fan fan girl. You know, you know what, uh, you know what, who, who the truly unsung uh, hero of this moment is? Who people who love Steven Universe and Hardy's. Oh, I know. Those people like those are like people... on the internet right now searching for this very t-shirt. They're like, I yeah, found yeah. it. I found the shirt that represents my values, the Steven Universe values and the Hardy's <laughs> values. Oh, God. Well, this podcast, by the way, is brought to you by the uh, Steven Universe Hardy's Carl's Jr. Coalition fandom. Uh, Steven Universe uh, Hardy's Carl's Jr. Coalition fandom. Seven people. Uh, in in the nor- in, in the mid- middle of the country somewhere, including <laughs> our next labor secretary. I think I can't remember which <laughs> member of the cabinet he's going to be. Today's podcast is also brought to you by farting. Farting, Hank's number one source of jokes. No, oh, and one of my top ten sources of joy. Uh, this podcast is also <laughs> brought to you by destroying wine. Destroying wine. It's fun and it makes your brother uncomfortable. Makes me extremely uncomfortable. It just I. And, of course, today's podcast is brought to you by Grace's Poetry. Grace's Poetry. Please don't read it in front of her. (laughs) This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice 
design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets... Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Oh, God, John, we have some, a bunch of corrections. First of all, I have to say, it was not the Postal Service that wrote, 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 or wrote and performed it, created Brothers on a Hotel Bed. It was uh, Death Cab for Cutie, which just happens to have the same lead singer as the Postal Service. We have another correction from Clarissa, who says uh, that Elsa is not a princess because her parents are dead, so she is a queen. I hope that didn't spoil anything for anyone. Uh, and also, uh, Thomas would like to say that it was not the International Telecommunications Union that decides when to add new leap second, seconds, but the IERS, the International Earth Rotation and Reference Systems Service. Now, I don't know what the relationship between the ITU and the IERS is. My, my, my guess is that it's complicated. And I bet it's like Hatfield and McCoy's <laughs> like they just absolutely hate each other and they've been at war for so long they can't even remember what they're fighting about, but they hate each other. And if you work at the IERS, I bet you wake up every morning and you think, what can I do to take those ITU mofos down? <laughs> this, this is from Thomas Nilsson, who's from the Swedish Institute of Space Physics. So uh, luckily not from neither of those organizations. So uh, if he was from one of them, I would call him biased. But uh, since he's from the Swedish, Swedish Institute of Space Physics, which is not easy to say, uh, I, I'm trusting him on this, even though the Wikipedia... If you think it's hard to say in English, try saying it in <laughs> Swedish. Um, I, I like to imagine that the Swedish Institute of Space Physics is kind of like the, uh, the mediator in the horrible relationship between the <laughs> IERS and the ITU. Yeah, yeah. They're like, we're the Switzerland of this. I know it's confusing because we're <laughs> Sweden, but... Trust us. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're basically the same. Thomas, just kidding. Just kidding. Please come to VidCon Europe. Um, uh, Thomas, of course, uh, in, in his work at the Swedish Institute of Space Physics, is like living my dream. I, I, I desperately, desperately wish that I had been good at physics, especially space physics. Like that's the thing I most would have liked to have a gift for. So I'm a little jealous. Um, we've also got a correction. I just searched on Twitter uh, from June 21st, 2016. Correction from Seamus says, mm -hmm. the current Pope is Pope Francis. So apparently we got that one wrong at some point. I think we corrected ourselves okay. on that in a previous podcast, okay. not to worry. So right, good. we're good on that. Uh, we, we we didn't nail the, the current Pope uh, like seven <laughs> months ago. We corrected ourselves. And then Hank has just recorrected us. So thank you, Hank. I just want to make sure. Um, all right, John, we're going to do one more question before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. It's from Sam, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I've been trying, 
as we all should be, to make myself a better person, someone that I like more and to always think, what would Captain Picard do? But often I find myself frustrated with changing parts of myself that I feel impossible to control, not just things that we accept and learn to love about ourselves, or at least tolerate, like appearance and voice, but actions that seem instinctive and thoughtless. When there's no time to think things through or when in a relaxed environment, I'm running almost on autopilot. Do you have any advice for dealing with the regrettable choices that we make and that don't resonate with our hopes and images of ourselves, but we continue to make anyway without thinking? I can't help but feel that I might just be a bad person. Warmly yours, Sam. Well, you got a good sign-off. That's a good start. Warmly yours. Uh, John, I am... Uh, I am a creature of habit. I, I like to establish habits and I believe in habits. And I think that in a lot of ways, the way that we communicate is often, uh, as Sam says here, instinctual in a way, like not instinctual, but like it, it's, it's like, the, like we have pre-programmed a set of responses and we just use them without thinking. And- Yeah, you go with your default choice, yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes we can set ourselves up with bad defaults. And that doesn't mean that we're bad people, uh, but it means that we have to consciously set up new habits. And that can be hard work. And, and one of the habits that I like to try and establish is to actually like take a moment to think before I say a thing. Because I can, I, and this has become more important as I've gotten people who like will, will take a lot out of what I say, like, particularly people who work for me, they might think that like like some off-the-cuff comment meant a lot more to them than it did to me. And so taking that beat to be like, what is this person going to think about the thing that I'm going to say? And then how, how am I going to feel about say, what I'm going to say before I say it uh, has become a constant habit for me that I think has made my relationships better. I uh, am no good at making better choices than my default choices in uh in the heat of the moment uh i do think it probably is great to pause yeah. and take a second before you say something uh i i found like i uh, yeah i i am like 100 percent on board with sam on this one and feel like i've made absolutely no progress on this in the last like 20 years of my life the only thing that i will say is that i used to um habitually lie uh, like in conversation, just uh, just to make it convenient, not mm -hmm. not like out of malice or anything. But someone would say like, uh, oh, have you ever been mm -hmm. to Cincinnati? And I would say yes, just because, you know, you don't want to seem like you haven't been to Cincinnati or you want to let the person continue with their story. <laughs> and uh, I do try now not to do mm -hmm. that as much, although I still I find myself doing it all the time with movies or something. Someone will say, like, did you see this movie? And I'll be like, oh, yeah. I don't even know why. Why? Why? Why am I? Why am I saying that? And even when I'm saying it, I'm just like, why? Why did you say yeah. that? Like now you're in a tough position, like because you've got to have an opinion on you got to have an opinion on Batman versus Superman, a film you have not seen and also have no intention of ever seeing. Um, yeah. And so uh, I am still I am still working on this, and I, I I think that it's hard and and difficult and one of the weird things about humans. Yeah, I I am just I think that I spent a lot of time as a younger person believing that every word that I said was going to be something but through which someone would judge me. Um, and so I, I, I yeah. set that up early um, where it was like, I, I, I need to be very careful about making sure that everything I say makes me, makes everybody think the right thing about me. 
uh, which led to a lot of not speaking at all. But um, but set, maybe set me up for for being fairly good at uh, at saying things that uh, that are going to have the highest probability of not people not making people feel bad. Well, I do think that is a fairly good goal, although. There are times, I don't know, it's complicated. Let's move on to the news from AFC Wimbledon. The great thing about Sports Inc. is that it is it is cut and dry. You win or you lose. Or in the case of soccer, you often tie. Mm-hmm. Um, so since we last spoke, Hank, uh, AFC Wimbledon has, uh, it's been an interesting time. They had their third round FA Cup tie against Sutton United, which was on American cable television. It was very exciting, uh, except the game itself was, and I, I, I use this uh, word sparingly when talking about AFC Wimbledon, wretched. Uh, it was a nil-nil draw, uh, but the, the, even that scoreline, I think, um, a bit flatters how horrible the game was to watch. <laughs> Um, And uh, there was then an FA Cup uh, replay in which Sutton United won. Uh, They won 3-1 largely because of a controversial red card that resulted in AFC Wimbledon playing with only 10 players for the vast majority of the game. Uh, AFC Wimbledon were up 1-0 into the second half, but uh, their defense eventually tired with only 10 players and they lost the game, which is a bummer. On the upside, uh, in League One, things continue to go quite well, or at least relatively well. Wimbledon beat Oxford United uh, on January 14th, which is a very good result, and uh, while they are no longer in the playoff positions, and I think maybe, I mean, it, it, you know, look, last season, AFC Wimbledon were the, arguably the smallest team in League Two. Uh, this year, they are almost certainly the smallest team in League One. So to be in 12th place is great. Uh, currently, uh, Wimbledon, uh, having played 26 games, are in 12th place on 36 points. Uh, they are about mm, eight points out of the playoff spots. But more importantly, uh, from my perspective, they are 11 points clear of the drop. So uh, a mid-table finish would be extraordinary for Wimbledon this season, especially since almost everyone uh, picked them to be relegated. Well, the uh, and the franchise currently playing in Milton Keynes is like three points out of the drop. So that's something else. Yep. That would be amazing. I know. That would be that would be great. It would be great to be able to say farewell uh, to them and not have to play twice a year, but uh, we shall see. There is a lot of season to go, and the franchise currently playing in Milton Keynes is extremely well capitalized, so they should be able to buy some players uh, in the uh, in the January transfer window. Whatever that means. Well, John, on the surface of Mars, uh, there is a there is a, a, a minivan driving around, uh, driving up the side of a mountain. Which is which is exciting. It, it's it's gotten to a place it, uh, in Gale Crater where it is it is now regularly coming across uh, somewhat startling and amazing things as it sort of moves backward in geologic history as it goes up this up the side of this mountain. It has just found a rock, and I know rocks are just rocks, but uh, it is a very beautiful rock, and you can see pictures of it. Maybe we'll put one on the Patreon. That uh, looks for all the world like what it looks like when some mud uh, or it's like some silty clay uh, is is wet and then dries up. And you get those what they're, they're I think they might be called like desiccation fractures or or, or desiccation cracks, and uh, and like it makes these like really sort of pretty geometric shapes. Uh, you've probably seen this uh, in various places. Uh, what happened with this rock is that that happened sometime in the distant geologic history of Mars when uh, some mud 
some wet mud, wet with water, dried out, created those cracks, and then some sediments uh, like got blown into those cracks, and then the whole thing petrified uh, over a long, long period of time. And then, uh, way after that happened, it, this rock actually fractured in a couple of places, and water seeped through it because it had been covered by a bunch of dirt. And so groundwater seeped through it, left deposits in those fractures. And so we can see not only like the original formation that happened in water, but then the deposits that were left in the rock at a much later date, also by liquid water flowing through uh, the, the subsurface of Mars. And uh, this, this rock has, contains a great deal of geologic history of Mars, all of which is wet. That's very cool. It's pretty rock, and they are now able to uh, to drive right up to it, take up some pictures, and take some samples from it. And it has a good name that I've forgotten. <laughs> I didn't know. I I uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. Hold on just a second. What are they calling it? It's a fun name. I'm gonna wait for it, Hank, because I know it's gonna be that good. It's gonna be so fun. It's gonna be like it's like they're gonna call it the Doodoo Head Rock. That's what <laughs> Alice would have named it. <laughs> oh, it's called Old Soaker. The Rock. <laughs> Old mean, Soaker. That is setting an extremely low bar for fun. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Oh, man. It's, just, it's I know it's a fun name. I can't remember what it is, John, but it's super fun. <laughs> Old Soaker. Old Doodoo Head. <laughs> oh, all right, Lord. John. What did we learn today? Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, nothing. Really, That's for being true. honest, uh, we learned that Hank is willing to completely ruin a perfectly acceptable glass of red wine by pouring bases into it. We learned that Carl's Jr. and Hardy's and Steven Universe are all, in fact, the same thing. I think Steven Universe fans might have a word about that. Also, Hardy's fans. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that fart jokes are a pretty good defense mechanism if you've just been not killed in a train derailment. Uh, we learned that shellfish and eyesores is a terrible sign-off for an email. Warmly yours, much better. Uh, and nobody, nobody, <laughs> nobody likes that. No, no. Some people like shellfish, and I guess some people probably like eyesores. You know, there's people out there who think <laughs> that our, our current aesthetics are all wrong. So maybe... It's not for you, Hank, but it could be for someone. I, I do agree, though. Warmly yours is pretty great. Uh, Hank, it has been a pleasure to podcast with you. It's been a pleasure to podcast with you, too. C can I just read you one question, John? I don't think it requires any comment, but I think it's important. Uh, a thing, An important thing to say for us here at Dear Hank and John. Uh, Clara asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm a college freshman and just beginning to figure myself out. Although there are certain things I'm very sure about myself, such as my core values, I'm very unsure of other things. When I'm asked by other people about my opinions, they're shocked when I tell them that I don't know or am unsure of what I think. It took me a long time to become okay with my own unsure uncertainty, and it strikes me as very odd that humans uh, are not okay with this. Why do we fear uncertainty? How are we supposed to figure things out if we can't admit being unsure? How does all of this work? At least I'm certain of my name, Clara. Amazing sign-off. Also... Great sign-off. Just... No, nothing needs to be said about that question, except that we here at D Dear Hank and John are far too often uh, full of faux full of faux certainty, and uh, and we sh and we should say that out loud here at the place where we give dubious advice. Uh, so thanks, Clara, for 
for the great message. I completely agree. I believe that I don't know are the three most underrated words in the English language. And frankly, Hank, you and I should both use them more often. Yes. Dear Hank and John is produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editor is Nicholas Jenkins. Victoria Bongiorno is head our head of community and communications. Our music is by the great Gunnarola. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. That's where we get your questions. Or use the hashtag Dear Hank and John on Twitter, where I am John Green. Hank is Hank Green. And as we say in my hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.